Good morning, church. Welcome to Riverside. Again, if it's your first time with us, we are so glad you're here. I know it's been a wonderful Thanksgiving break for so many, and that means that a lot of our people are traveling and are away at other places, but it also means that we have a lot of people in the room for the first time today, or maybe the first time in a long time. And again, I just want to extend my welcome and tell you how glad, very glad that we are that you are here today. Over the last few weeks, we've been in the middle of this series. We're going to bring it to a close today called Forgiving God. And I want to begin again with these words uh, that Paul spoke from Romans 8, verse 35. Does it mean that God no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? When we talk about forgiving God, I want to say this again. We've said it every week. Uh, And especially if you're here for the first time today, I want you to, to know this. We're not saying that God has done anything wrong. But if you are like me, if you are like most people I know, then there was probably a point at some point in your life where things didn't go the way you thought that they would. Where maybe things didn't work out the way that you wished they would. Maybe you prayed a prayer and it felt like that prayer went unanswered. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe life just hasn't gone at all the way you thought that it would. Maybe there was a time when you needed God and you felt like God didn't show up. And if you're like most people I know, then the truth of the matter is, and you would probably say this, that ever since that day, ever since whatever happened to you happened to you, that things between you and God have not been the same. So what if you could forgive God? And what we mean by that is what if you could release whatever it is you're holding against God so that you could enter back into full relationship with your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you could possibly know. With our Heavenly Father who knows each time a sparrow falls, so how much more does He care for us? Maybe you're like the people of faith who have prayed throughout the centuries, people who have prayed these kinds of prayers all throughout Scripture, who have prayed these words, words like, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? How long, oh Lord, will you look on and do nothing? I am sick at heart. How long, oh Lord, until you restore me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. O hope of Israel, our Savior, in times of trouble, why are you like a stranger to us? Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? Ever prayed those kind of prayers? In 1991, billboards 
Hot Country Songs chart had a new number one song. And if you're a country music fan, you may be able to guess what that song was. But in 1991, a song was co-written and sung by Garth Brooks, country music star. Um, a song entitled Unanswered Prayers. Maybe you have heard that song or maybe you even know that song. Song was uh, about uh, a real experience that Garth had in his own life where uh, one day he and his wife traveled back to his hometown and they went on a Friday night to a football game at the high school where he grew up and they're having a great time meeting old friends and, and seeing people again. And, and, but that night they crossed paths with Garth's uh, high school sweetheart. Awkward moment. So he's introducing uh, his sweet high school sweetheart to his, I guess, his present sweetheart, his wife. And they have this exchange, this conversation, and, and they walk away. And, and Garth reflects on that night and that moment, that Friday night uh, at, at the football game, seeing his high school flame there with his, his wife and thinking, man, that was the girl that I, I prayed for over and over again, that, that we would be together forever. That's the prayer of so many high school boys, you know. You, know, you meet the, the beautiful girl, and you just pray that we'll be together forever. But, but that didn't work out. She graduated. He graduated. They went their separate ways. Garth went on to meet his, his wife, and, and you know they have a, a beautiful life together. And he reflects, and he thinks, man, how different life would have been for me if God had answered that prayer. And he writes this song with this beautiful hook at the end of the chorus that said, maybe God's greatest gifts are what? Unanswered prayers. What do we, what do, we do with unanswered prayers? What do we do with unanswered prayers? It makes for a nice country song. Boy meets girl, girl meets boy, boy falls in love with girl. Boy and girl graduate, go separate ways. Boy meets another amazing girl, gets married, has a multi-million dollar country music career. Makes for a great, great story, great song. But if you're anything like most people I know, you probably wouldn't say that God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. As a, a pastor, I get the, the blessing of being in the room with people sometimes during some of life's most heartbreaking moments. And, and you've probably been in those same rooms, and you know how this goes. We, we get together in, in those, those rooms, those living rooms, those hospital rooms, those rooms, wherever they are, and we gather, and we cry out to God, and we pray. We pray with boldness. We pray with faith. I have prayed and asked God to do some truly miraculous things. And I would never pretend to speak for those people that I've prayed with during life's most heartbreaking moments. But I think they would say, and I think you would agree, that in those moments, we're praying for God to answer those prayers. We're praying with, with faith that God would hear us when we pray. And we're praying with all the faith that we have. And, and we, we name and we, we voice and we read those scriptures, those truths that we know from scripture to be true about prayer Words like these that Jesus once spoke when he said, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Or like John once said, that we're confident that, that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And, and since we know that he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us whatever we ask for. Or, or what about when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, go jump in the lake. 
That, that's my translation. Jesus said, may you, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And guess what? It will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Always pray and never give up. So we pray and we pray and we pray and we believe and we're full of faith that God can do it. But what do we do when we pray and we pray? And it feels like those prayers are going unanswered. What do we do when we pray and nothing seems to change? The truth is, this is the very reason that some of you and some people that you know have walked away from their faith. Because they, they prayed to God when they needed him most. They called out to him believing that he would and he could. And for whatever reason, for reasons unknown to them, it seemed like God didn't. He didn't answer. He didn't show up. He didn't fill in the blank. And there's so many people who have altogether walked away from faith because of, of this very problem of unanswered prayer. And in fact, it may be that some of your discontent with God may, may be this thing. This is one of, one of the most difficult questions of the life of faith. And it always has been. The good news is, if you've ever experienced this, or if you're experiencing this today, you, you need to hear this, you need to know this, that you're not the only one. You're not the only one. People of faith throughout the centuries, people who have believed in God, people who have put their hope in Jesus, have felt and experienced the same thing that, that maybe you're experiencing today, or maybe you've experienced in your own life, in your own walk of faith. Outside of Jesus Christ, maybe you could argue the, the one person that's had the most influence on Christianity is the Apostle Paul. Paul was, we've talked about Paul before, Paul was, um, Paul was a church planner before we knew what church planners was. Uh, Paul was taking mission trips before we knew what mission trips were. Paul was out traveling and speaking and, and writing before we knew what conferences were, before there were blogs to read and, and books to sell on Amazon. Paul was doing all this in a day and time where it was incredibly difficult to do this kind of thing. But Paul was, was, was out there telling people, pointing people to the only God who saves. But Paul, kind of like you and me, also knew what it meant to experience hardship and pain and even unanswered prayer. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open that up to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. But before we read this passage I want us to look at today, I want to just set this up real briefly for you. Because before Paul was a Christian, before he was a Christ follower, he was rising in the ranks as, as a young Jew. He was probably from a wealthy family. Uh, he was learning at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel, a very prominent and leading rabbi in his day and time. And here's the deal. If Paul kept his life on this track, he, he was set. He had it made. Paul was, was on his way to being a wealthy, affluent, leading rabbi of his own, a, a person of influence and position and title. 
All Paul had to do was stay on this one track, and he was set for life. He had it made. But that's not how Paul's story went at all, because Paul met Jesus. And when Paul met Jesus, his life took a complete 180-degree turn. And Paul would give up his title, his position, his affluence, his future, in order to know Christ, follow Christ, and point as many people as he possibly could to Christ. Paul had, had multiple different encounters with Jesus. Uh, the first one was when he was on a road to a city called Damascus, and it was on that road that, that Jesus appeared to Paul in a blinding light and revealed himself to him. And Paul would later say that that moment literally changed his life. And a short time after that, Paul was in a city called Tarsus, and there he had, he had an experience with Christ he didn't even really know how to explain, and he wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 12. And this moment, had, it left an indelible mark on his life. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, Paul wrote this. He said, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. So 14 years before he wrote these words, Paul had this incredible experience. Whether, it was, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I, I don't even know. Only God knows. I know it was real. I don't know how it happened. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my, my body. But I do know this that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot even be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. It's no doubt that Paul was chosen and called and appointed by God, by Jesus himself, to carry and to spread the news of Jesus to the whole world. But even Paul wasn't immune to unanswered prayer. Skip down a couple of verses, and in verse 7, of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote this. So to keep me from becoming proud, and you may wonder why would Paul be proud, but Paul could have grown proud because he had experiences with Jesus that really nobody else had had. He had seen Jesus, encountered the, the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. He had had this out of body or in the body, we don't know, experience with Jesus some 14 years ago. If anybody could be proud, he could be proud of what he had experienced in his life. Not only that, but God had given Paul incredible success in his ministry. He had brought him through incredible hardship and difficulty, time and time again preserved his life. He had, he had a lot to be proud of and talk to people about, but he would even say it's, it's really foolishness to even go there. It's even crazy to talk like that, but Paul felt like he had to because the situation at the church in Corinth at this time was there were some, some people who were self-promoting and trying to influence the church and tell them of, of how great they were, and so people should listen to them. And Paul said, you know what? If you want to play the comparison game, we can. It's crazy. It's foolish. It's just plain dumb. We can do that. But if you want to play the comparison game, heads up, I'm going to win. But by the way, you need to know that this is how it works in God's kingdom. You need to know, but to keep, to keep me from becoming proud, this is what Paul said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. You ever picked a rose and the thorn like just, just pricked your finger and you felt that, that tinge of pain? Have you ever done this where you, you picked up a piece of wood or maybe you, you got your Christmas tree, all of you true believers, and you went out to the farm and you cut it down like a, a good... Christian would, and uh, 
You see where I fall on the artificial real tree thing. And you get a splinter in your hand. You ever done that? If you, if you have, you know, it, it, like it hurts. Uh, the word for thorn there that Paul uses is the same word for, for splinter. And, 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 and it's just that, that, that pain you would feel in your, in your flesh. And scholars, people, like really smart people, have argued for years and years you know, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? This has been a hot topic of debate for a lot of years, so I'm going to tell you what it was. Just kidding. Um, I'll tell you what people think it was, right? Uh, some people think it was like a, a physical sickness or, or physical pain or ailment he was struggling with. Some people think maybe it was some sort of spiritual temptation that he was dealing with and couldn't, for whatever reason, get over. Other people think maybe it was, it was the opposition he was facing as he was trying to advance the gospel, that the, the people that were opposing him was a constant struggle, a constant pain for him. The truth is, we don't know. We don't know. But Paul here was experiencing this thorn in the flesh, this, 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 this splinter that wouldn't go away. And he didn't know what to do about it. But he said he believed God gave it to him to keep him humble. If you've ever gotten a splinter, you know, you know how it hurts. And if it's one of those that gets in deep, you know what I'm talking about, or it breaks off and part of it's still in there, and you have that throbbing pain that won't go away. I remember as a kid, this would happen to me from time to time, and I would go run to my, to my dad, to my father, and my dad Big old man, always carried a buck knife in his pocket. If you go up to him today, he's got a knife in his pocket, I guarantee it. Um, and so I would run over to my dad, and he would take out that buck knife to get the splinter out, and I would look the other way. I knew he was going to take care of it. I didn't want to see it, but I, he was going to do it. And he would drop whatever he was doing to get that splinter out of my hand. That's not what God does when Paul prays to his heavenly father about the thorn in the flesh that he's experiencing. Paul says in verse 8 these words. He said three different times. I begged the Lord to take it away. Whatever it was, it was causing Paul such tremendous pain. But three different times, he begged the Lord to take it away. And whatever it was, Paul felt like that prayer went unanswered because God didn't do it. Can you imagine how hard that would have been for a guy like Paul? I mean, think about this. If it was some sort of physical pain or problem or sickness, Paul had the power, he had the ability to heal other people who were sick in the name of Jesus. In fact, there's a story of a time that, that if, if you were sick and if you just touched a piece of cloth, the same cloth that Paul would have touched, that it would heal you. So now, if it is some sort of physical problem or sickness or pain, how frustrating would it have been for Paul that God won't do for him what God had done through him for others? Or if it was some sort of temptation in his life, some, some struggle against sin, how frustrating, how maddening would it have been for Paul, who was spending all of his time and all of his days telling people to leave their life of sin, to put their sinful past behind them and enter into life in the Spirit, but yet Paul knew in his own heart of hearts that he couldn't overcome some sin or some struggle or some temptation in his own life. 
or if it had been some opposition that he was facing from, from those who were against him. How, how like maddening would that have been for Paul, who was out here literally trying to fulfill the words of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations, to carry the name of Jesus literally to the ends of the earth, yet he's facing opposition after opposition. And this is the thorn in his flesh, and he's praying, God, take that away. I can do so much more. I can, I can share the gospel with so many more people if you would just remove this opposition that is coming against me and won't go away and God won't do it. Whatever it was, how, how maddening would it have been, how frustrating would it have been for Paul to beg God over and over and over again to remove this thorn in his flesh. For 14 years at the date of this writing, 14 years he's prayed this and it hadn't happened. In 1984, there was another song written and released. It did not, at least not for a number of years, even break the Billboard Top 100. But you probably know the song. It was sung by Leonard Cohen. And deep within the song are buried these lyrics. They go like this. It's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. A broken hallelujah. That sounds a lot more like the prayers of the people I know who are praying and who are waiting on God. A broken hallelujah. Some of you are praying today and you urgently need God to help. And all you have to offer God is a broken hallelujah. So here's what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to tell you some story of some tragic situation and somebody who prayed a prayer and everything got better and every, everybody lived happily ever after. I'm just not going to do that. What I do want to tell you is the truth. That sometimes... You will pray, and you will pray, and you will pray. And it will feel like those prayers are going unanswered. Sometimes you will pray, maybe for 14 years, maybe for longer. And you will beg God, like Paul begged God, to take whatever it is that you're dealing with, or whatever problem it is you're facing, or whatever sickness it is that's, that, that's running rampant, or whatever family situation is out there that needs to be fixed, you will pray, and you will pray, and you will pray. And it will feel like those prayers are going unanswered. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing don't stop hoping. Don't stop reading those verses about prayer that remind you that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Don't stop believing in a God who can and will and does do miraculous things. Don't stop praying. Why? Because even though God didn't answer Paul's prayer, he did give him a word of hope. And I think it's this word of hope that gives encouragement to you and me about 
God's goodness in the middle of our brokenness. In verse 9, Paul kept writing, and, and he wrote this. He said that each time that he prayed, God said this. He said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Another translation I love says it this way. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation, for my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. So Paul says, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think the same is true for you today as well. That God's grace is sufficient for you. And his power works best in your weakness. In his book, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey writes these words, and I just want to share them with you this morning. He says, Kierkegaard, who was a theologian, lived in the 1800s, Kierkegaard said that Christians reminded him of schoolboys who want to look up the answers to their math problems in the back of the book rather than work them through. I confess to such schoolboy sentiments, and I doubt that I am alone. We, learn, we yearn for shortcuts. But shortcuts usually lead away from growth, not toward it. Apply the principle directly to Job. What was the final result of testing he went through? As Rabbi Abraham Heschel observed, faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it is the result of having been shaken. In an essay on prayer, C.S. Lewis suggested that God treats new Christians with a special kind of tenderness, much as a parent dotes on a newborn. He quotes an experienced Christian, I have seen many striking answers to prayer and more than one that I thought miraculous. But they usually come at the beginning before conversion or soon after it. As the Christian life proceeds, they tend to be rarer. The refusals, too, are not only more frequent, they become more unmistakable, more emphatic. At first glance, such a, such a suggestion seems to have it all backward. Shouldn't faith become easier, not harder, as the Christian progresses? But as Lewis points out, the New Testament gives two strong examples of unanswered prayers. Jesus pled three times for God to take this cup from me, and Paul begged God to cure the thorn in my flesh. So Lewis asks, does God then forsake just those who serve him best? Well, he who served him best of all said, near his tortured death, why hast thou forsaken me? When God becomes man, that man, of all others, is least comforted by God at his greatest need. There is a mystery here which even if I had the power, I might not have the courage to explore. Meanwhile, Little people like you and me, if our prayers are sometimes granted beyond all hope and probability, had better not draw hasty conclusions to our own advantage. If we were stronger, we might be less tenderly treated. If we were braver, we might be sent with far less help to defend far more desperate posts in the great battle. Here's what we know. Paul 
and Jesus both had a thorn in the flesh experience. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. But we know that soldiers fashioned a crown of thorns. And they placed it on Jesus' head and they pressed it into his flesh. I think what, what Paul knew was that whatever his thorn in the flesh was, as long as he had Jesus, it was enough. I think what Jesus knew is that even in crying out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Just take one look at the cross and you can see what Paul said is true. That God's power works best in weakness. Take one look at the cross and you'll see it. The power of God always works best in weakness. So don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't mistake God's perceived silence as his absence. And hold on to Jesus. Because whatever you're going through, I just want to I just want this gentle reminder to flow through our hearts and through this room. That whatever you're going through, Jesus is enough. And his grace will sustain you, it will carry you, it will provide for you. It is sufficient for you. And if you watch for it, you'll see God's power over and over being realized through your weakness. Church, if you would, let's stand together. Each week we've started with these words from Romans 8, 35. Let me share them again. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Paul asked that question. Those were his words. And, and I wonder just how often he had those thoughts. But here's the rest of what Paul wrote. Verse 36. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. But no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, even with a thorn in my flesh, even with prayers that have seemingly gone unanswered, even with all the hardship and difficulty I faced in my life, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. If you're hurting today, hear these words. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This is the hope that we have. And if you're hurting today, I want to remind you that God's grace is enough for you. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. And it's my prayer that whatever it is that is separating you from God, 
you would be able to release so that you can enter back into a full relationship with your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you could ever possibly know. This morning, if, if you're hurting, if you need prayers, if you need encouragement, if you need someone to just help you, I'm going to ask our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room. And they don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. But if, if you would like to enter back into that relationship with your Heavenly Father, if you've been far away from Him because of some pain in your life, just know they would love to pray with you and encourage you. And you can do that while we sing this song.